it's, it's been exciting what the Lord is doing in our midst. And, and I love being a church together and the families that are joining us online too. It's a grateful to, to open the word of God. And today, today I feel like we're covering a topic in our membership series that is just so crucial. And I'm, I've just been praying that the Lord would make it so crucial for us. Um, last week, we talked about the why of membership. So if you're thinking membership, is this where the church like gets really weird? Um, we, uh, we're already weird, first of all, but uh, that's, we talked about that last week. And so on our podcast or um, on our website, we've got a sermons area. I'd encourage you to to uh, walk through that of like why we're even doing this in the life of the church. But today what we're doing is we're moving from kind of like why we're doing this into the distinctives of just as like no two snowflakes are the same, I don't think no, any two churches are the same. I think there's a diversity of the body of Jesus and there's a lot of things that are similar like Jesus, there are a lot of things that are similar, but there are also like really strong distinctives that we're like saying this really characterizes us and as a covenant membership, we're hoping it will characterize us because what we're not wanting to do is be covenant members that just tread water. It's like, hey, let's just get together every Sunday and just tread water together and then go home. Like we actually believe the Lord is like taking us somewhere uh, with him with each other, and some of this is these distinctives, and so this first major distinctive that we're stepping in today is gospel-centered, gospel-centered, okay? It's a distinctive that I, I feel like it's kind of like, like gauges on a dashboard, and we've got, you know, the fuel gauge and the speedometer, like those are all important gauges, right? The gospel-centered gauge, I feel like, is, is a, a crucial gauge for us when we're looking at, at our church when we're looking at our membership. And I think some people, like you could say, okay, gospel center is a part of this church, or maybe it's kind of like over there on the back burner. But what we mean when we're saying this is that at the very center of our lives, at the very center of this church is hopefully the gospel. And that's a word that needs interpreted. It needs explained, right? Like you probably don't use that word a lot. Um, so for us to get like, what do we mean when we say gospel is crucial? So what's this word? What does this word mean? Why is this such a big deal for us? So it's, it kind of goes through a couple languages like old English Saxon and stuff like that. But the first time this word was penned in Greek, it was the word euangelion. Euangelion is like the original word. And that word means good news. And so it went from good news to like God's spell as if like that was like a good spell towards God or something. So it was kind of interesting how we got to the word gospel. But so when we say gospel-centered, what we're really saying is good news-centered. <laughs> so that we'd be a church that is good news-centered. That's what we're talking about. So let's unpack that. And I think the way it's like, hey, let's just cut to the chase of what we're talking about here. I think the fastest way that I've found in our community to cut to the chase of what we're talking is by just asking a simple question. Simple question. If you were to die today and you're standing instantly before God and he says, why should I let you in here? What would your response be? The father's like, why should I let you into heaven? 
what would your response be? What would you say in response to why should I let you in here? And I think the default answer for humanity, I think the default answer in our community, the default answer that I've heard is, well, I've just, I've tried to be a good person. Uh, I think my good outweighs my bad. Like that is kind of the response. I think my good outweighs my bad. And different, like, kind of different areas around that. But, um, you know, I think that that, like, might seem like good news. Like, I've had someone tell me that, and I'm like, you are a really good person. Like, now that you mentioned that, like, you know, I would give you, like, my debit card and the PIN number and just be like, I prefer you don't spend any money. And they'd be like, yeah, you can trust me. And I would trust them. Like, I feel like they are good. And when I am saying, like, what I hear is, like, people saying, I'm trying to be a good person here. Um, Man, like, it brings up the question of, well, how good is good enough? It brings up the question, well, then do bad people not ever get a chance to go to heaven? <laughs> like if you did a lot of bad where you would never have enough time in your life to undo all of that bad, like would you still have a chance to heaven? Um, will I ever know for sure? And I'm not against people being good. <laughs> I'm really not against like people being good people. Like uh, I'm not like being good is good. <laughs> I will never say being good is bad. Like, being good is good. Being good, however, Jesus taught us, is terrible admission to heaven. Being good is good, but being good is terrible admission to heaven because there is way better news. And that is the good news, is there is way better news than us being on this treadmill of good works. And it's truly good news for all people, no matter what you've done or no matter what's been done to you. Check out what John 3.16 and 17, a lot of times we don't go to verse 17, but look at what John 3.16-17 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That would have been the perfect place to say that whoever lives a good life should not perish, but ever lasting. But no, he said that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Because, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God didn't want to leave our salvation to us. He's like, I love you guys way too much to like leave such a huge thing to you. And I think as we learn more of the Bible, we're going to see that God graciously informed us too that, there, that we are way worse than we ever imagined. To be like, well, let me see your list of good works. And it's like, Man, like, for the father to look at your list of good works and then to look at the list of his son and to be like, you're trying to compare these two to each other and you think that I'm gonna be, he's like, I'm actually for you. He, he loves you <laughs> and he loves you so much to like use his list, the one who's coming to rescue you. And he's telling us like, hey, There is a sin that runs through your veins 
There is a rebellion that runs through your veins where we are far worse off than we ever imagined. And the and is so important. We are way more valuable in his eyes than we ever dared dream. Like than we ever dared hope. We are way more valuable in his eyes than we ever imagined. He, God the Father, so loved us, he sent his only son who came willingly to live, to die, to conquer death through his resurrection so that our sins would be robbed of its penalty. God did not, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, verse 17 tells us, but in order that we might be saved through him. That is good news. That is the gospel that is what we want to have at the center of that huge question of like, hey, when you stand before the Father and he says, why should I let you in? Like, we must be gospel-centered as it relates to us viewing salvation. A salvation where you have come to believe this, to put your trust in Jesus and nothing else. Jesus alone for your salvation to say, when that question comes up, you say, Jesus, my Savior. And he's like, okay, that's all I need to hear. Like, if you don't lead with Jesus, I don't think you're understanding the gospel. And you're understanding, hey, what I bring to the salvation is my sin. What he brings to the salvation is everything, is life, forgiveness, restoration, peace. Jesus, my Savior, this is the answer that the Father accepts. The father watched the son gain that victory. And if our response is, hey, I'm doing this on my own. I'm gonna do this thing solo. I'm just going to the soul aisle of Home Depot and I'm gonna save myself. You're telling the father that the good news of what Jesus has done is not enough. Or it maybe doesn't apply to you. It's for all those other people, but not for me because of what I've done. And it's like, oh no, I assure you. What he did covers all of that. You cannot go low where he's not, where his, what he paid for isn't lower still. We want his admission to be our admission and the stakes are too high for us to confuse this. And I think this is why it's so important for us to intentionally say a huge part of the DNA of our church membership is that we hold up a gospel-centered salvation. During these times, I think like with COVID, it's like, man, the way forward is cloudy. How we should actually operate and how we should operate in Collins versus how they're doing things in Ankeny or how they're doing things in Des Moines or like just to try and find a way forward, like it's not clear. And if anybody says it's crystal clear, I think like everybody else is like, I don't think you see it clearly if you think, if you think it's clear, <laughs> right? Um, and just the decisions that school boards are making and stuff, it's like, man, I don't know what is the way. I think as it relates to politics, you know, there are very many different versions of this is the way you should think politically. I think as it relates to just masks and social distancing and stuff, like there's so much grace we need to show because to say like this is the way is, man, I, it, it, in many ways it's, it's not clear. But like we can't afford to think that way about salvation. <laughs> of any people on planet Earth, 
Those of us who have heard these things, who have met the man, who have felt his salvation, for us to be able to say, I know things that are crystal clear, not because of my intelligence, but because of his grace in showing me the clarity of salvation. Being a good person has never saved anyone. Being a Methodist has never saved anyone. Being a Roman Catholic has never saved anyone. Attending Sacred Mission Church has never saved anyone. Anyone who has ever been saved, being saved, will be saved, giving their life to Jesus. That's the only thing that has ever saved anyone. And that is our gospel-centered salvation, centered on the good news of Jesus. Who gets this good news? You know, just for people in the room, Romans 10, 13, we see this in Acts chapter 2 as well. Everyone, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, you have no idea what they've done. You have no idea how bad they are. You have no idea how deceptive they are. You have no idea how much they lie. Or I don't care because of what he's done, because of how powerful Jesus is, that we can proclaim this every day for the rest of our lives. And this is one of the most powerful things we can proclaim to ourselves, to our family, to our friends, to our community. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If it's like, well, we should pray for this person to be healed. I agree we should pray for this person to be healed. Will the Lord answer that prayer every single time? Sometimes he doesn't. Paul had to be confronted with that reality. Sometimes the Lord heals people by bringing them home. There are many ways that the Lord can heal somebody. What's amazing is this prayer of salvation, he promises, he, ins- he answers yes instantly every time. No one should ever be like, man, I've tried praying that like 27 times and I hope he saves me one day. It's like, no, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and we, we get to hold on to that, hold on to a gospel-centered salvation. But this gospel-centered distinctive is not just focused on salvation. We, we do want to have a gospel-centered view of salvation, but we want to have a gospel-centered life as well, a gospel-centered life. It's possible for us to think that Jesus is just someone that you need to meet once in your lifetime, meet Jesus one time, kind of get right with him, have him pay for your sin, and then I'll see you in heaven, and you can do that with other people. And, and we can think that way, and I'd say that's having a gospel-centered salvation, but a, not a gospel-centered life. Gospel-centered life, though, is how he designed us to live. <laughs> a gospel-centered life is how he designed us to flourish. Um, and if this is our view of Jesus for a lifetime, I think we can spend a lifetime then maturing in Jesus and growing more like him. I think if we don't think that Jesus desires to be close to him and learn from him every day, we run the danger of being a baby Christian for a lifetime and not growing in him, not maturing, not having him change us from the inside out. Uh, John 15 is just a powerful, um, powerful passage around these ideas. Uh, John 15, this is starting in verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Jesus is telling us this. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And it's sometimes like when Jesus says something, it's interesting to know like, why did he say that? He could have chosen all sorts of things. So like whenever he, he's like, hey, this is like this. It's like, wow, he could have, so here he could have said like, you guys are like soldiers, and I'm like the general in the Pentagon, and I give you orders, and you say, yes, sir, and you follow my orders, but he doesn't say that. He could have said, hey, you guys in the church, you're like employees, and me, Jesus, I'm like your boss, and I'm a great boss, but like I give you memos and stuff, and you, you do what I want you to do, but he gets way closer because like your boss is like in the corner office, right? And you're here, um, but he gets so much closer. He could have said, hey, you're like players and I'm your coach and I'm the best coach ever. And he could have said that. And we would be like, yes, coach, what do you want? You know, and all that stuff. But look at how intimately close the bond is between us and him. I mean, would we ever think, like, imagine if I treat my parenting this way. Hannah, I am like, I'm like the vine, and you're like the branch. And, you know, you're going to get your nutrients from me. You're going to get, like, everything you need to survive has to come through me. And has to be, and if you get lopped off from me, like, that's going to be really bad for you, you know? And it might be like, whoa, that's like, Two, like that's beyond like helicopter parenting. That's like vine parenting. It's the worst ever, right? Or something. Um, but for him though, to, who is good, who has designed us for our flourishing in him and who we might be like, oh, he's too busy to be like involved in the dailyness of my life. But for him to actually say, you are like branches to me. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that they bear more fruit. Like he's intimately involved and interested in the closeness of even the reality of us bearing fruit and those who are in gardening and stuff. Like, you know, like to truly have fruit trees that flourish, like you almost like intimately know them even better than they know themselves. And you do things and trim things where they might even think that you're like a butcher. <laughs> like you're cutting off my favorite branch, you know? And it's like, yes, I'm doing that because I actually want you to be fruitful. And I love you and I care about, I care about this and I care about you. And he says, he's the true vine. The father is the keeper of the vineyard. God is not far away. He's not a passive God. He's, he's intimately involved in us growing and being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Really to be his disciples. The closeness of being his disciples. And man, when we're pruned, it's painful. And we want to run away and think that he doesn't like us. And he's like, no, I'm actually loving you and wanting you to bear more fruit. Um, look at verse three, though. I love that he clarifies this. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So with a gospel-centered view of salvation that we've already talked about in John 3, this is John 15. So he's saying, like, when I prune you, this is not because, like, I'm rejecting you. Your sins are already paid for by you believing in me. Here I'm talking about your life as you live a gospel-centered life 
the way that I grow you and transform you. Uh, then in verse, verse four is just like, man, it's short, it's sweet, and it's deeply powerful. He simply commands and invites us, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. The word abide isn't used very often for us. I think instead of abide, we could use the word remain. Remain in me as I'm remaining in you. If, if a branch of a tree gets cut off, it might even look kind of normal for a couple days, and it just starts to wilt and weather and die. And that is a picture of us being lopped off from Jesus. And like what his passion for us is abiding in him, him abiding in us. Then verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. I'm making this crystal clear. Then whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, man, I just, once in a while, I'll like just think of like 25 years from now, what would, what would be, like, what would we love to see happen? If we were like having a 25-year anniversary, we've got food trucks or whatever, and man, like, wouldn't it be great if in 25 years we could say like, man, there are entire last names where those families have given their lives to Jesus and they are loving Jesus. They are walking in his light. Deep addictions are being broken. Pockets of deep darkness, of meth, of, of abuse, of hatred, of grudges that lasted decades are being redeemed and being restored. Friendships are being formed. You know, guys are like, man, I had friends when I was like in high school or college. I just don't have friends like that anymore. And to see like Deep friendships being formed that uh, like Jonathan and David type relationships. And we could just go on and on of like, man, over the next decades, like wouldn't it be amazing to see Jesus do this and to see this happen in our community? And Jesus is telling us here, apart from me, you can do nothing. Like we can do things that maybe like are a flash in the pan and look nice, but for him to say, if you want something that is truly fruitful in his eyes, Truly inspiring, it has to happen with him, abiding in him, through him. When he says, apart from me, you can do nothing, the flip of that is amazing. That means that with him, we can do anything, right? Anything he calls us to do, anything he empowers, the change that he can bring in each of our lives is truly limitless, the change he can bring in our communities, the change he can bring through us, the change he can do in our kids and the way that that plays out over a lifetime is truly limitless with him, abiding in him, gospel-centered lives. Like this is what we're aiming at as a church. If we're remaining in him, he can do whatever he wants to do. So uh, you know, our heart here is to to, to have gospel-centered salvation, a gospel-centered life. But then it's kind of like how you can have two people who are truly Christians walking with Jesus, but when they're married, they may not have a Christian marriage. Like, yes, they're both people who are following Jesus, but in one sense, like, the way that they interact with each other as husband and wife 
there's a massive areas of growth for like now that we're followers of Jesus, how does that play into our marriage? And, and how does that actually make our marriage be a marriage that's following Jesus, not just two roommates that are following Jesus individually. And in that same way, for us being a gospel-centered church is people holding on to a gospel-centered salvation, living gospel-centered lives, abiding in Jesus, and then be, being a covenant membership in a church where we are pointing each other that way, walking that direction together. Um, and so uh, just kind of questions to ask ourselves as we, um, as we just look to like, Lord, how does this, like, what, what are you doing in my life right now? What are you inviting me into? What are you showing me that maybe I've never seen before? Um, I think one, just the most probably crucial question for all of us is, is Jesus my savior? <laughs> like that is, and man, for so many, the answer is, thank you, yes. Like, yes, Jesus, you're my savior. You're not just a good moral teacher I know about. You're not just uh, someone I respect. You're not just someone that I know. I think it's common in our community, almost nobody in our community would ever say that they're an atheist. That's very rare, very rare in our community. But there are a lot of people who know about Jesus, but have yet to actually know him as their personal savior the savior of their own sins. And that's not a knock. That's just a reality of like, I think, I think Satan loves people to be as close as possible without actually being in the hands of Jesus um, because they, they may think that they're fine there. And um, man, like for all of us, like is Jesus our only hope? Is he our savior? Is your full trust in him? Because we can't abide in him unless we're in him. We can't abide in him unless we've given our life to him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And uh, man, like this is like for us to lift up. You know, I had the privilege a few weeks ago of leading a guy to Jesus who um, without asking these pinpointed questions, he wouldn't have seen himself that he needed to give his life to Jesus. He thought just kind of being around people who were following Jesus was good for him. And it's like, man, he loves you even closer than that. <laughs> he loves you even more than that. And uh, he's actually inviting you to follow him and to give your life to him. And he was all in. Um, and uh, and that's, um, these are questions for us to, to, to continually just uh, invite our community into. And then I think a second question, first, is Jesus my Savior? Then second, is, is he pruning you right now? <laughs> is he pruning you right now? And if he is, we want to be around you because that's painful. And if it's like, yeah, I think he's cutting off this whole part of my life and this whole part of my life of maybe my thoughts or maybe it's like actually sinful things that I'm doing, or maybe it's relationships that I've just let those things fester for a long time, and he's wanting to cut all of that out of me, all of that animosity and all of that stuff maybe. And it's like, hey, we wanna be next to you. We wanna be supporting you. We wanna be praying for you and praying over you as the Lord is pruning you for more fruit. And as he invites you to say, remain in me, stay here. And then third, uh, um, what is he calling you to today? Um, I think another question is like, what does it look like for you to bear much fruit? What does it look like for you 
to bear much fruit. One of the beauties of the diversity of the church is there might be somebody that God's just been laying on your heart, and what he's calling you to do is just be like, hey, you want to get together and just study the Bible together? Most people will do that. If it's like, hey, lunch is on me for the next month on this day of the week, why don't we just get together and uh, read through the book of John together and just see what happens? And they'll let the power of the word of God change that situation and change that relationship and, and, and being like, well, I could not do that unless Jesus shows up. And it's like, yes, exactly. Like that's what it means to say like abiding in him, you can bear much fruit. Apart from him, you can do nothing. And a lot of times I think our vision is what can I do that I know I could do? And the Lord's like, why put yourself in that box? Why don't you ask, like, what could I do that the Lord could do? And what maybe he inviting me into that would be a drastic failure unless he made it work and he provided the power and the change and the fruit. And uh, maybe it's serving in a ministry. Maybe it's starting something. Maybe it's a phone call or a relationship that needs to be restored. But, like, man, what does it look like for us to bear much fruit, to have a gospel-centered life and a gospel-centered church. And so for all of us, I think our response should always be drawing near to him. Like our response should never be like, okay, I'm gonna try really hard. It's like, no, don't try really hard. Move towards him and let him change you. Let him empower this. Let him be the one who actually, to say like, okay, Lord, you've shown me areas that you want me to step into and maybe it's scary but like, I could only do this if you're with me. And that's us stepping towards him. Perhaps in salvation, giving your life to him, letting him remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. Maybe it's in baptism saying, hey, can I get on this? It's at 1030 or could we do that next week? Um, maybe it's just, the, just taking action. And one of the beautiful ways we can step towards him is through communion. And so, uh, so communion is, is his idea of us communing with him, of us stepping near to him. Uh, the bread represents his body. And the way that we kind of have it during this COVID season is that it's a cup within a cup. So it's been, we've been careful like who, who filled these up and stuff. And then if you just touch one of them, just take one, and then you'll separate it. Um, and then we'll, we'll come and take these, come back to our seats. And then we'll just as family take it together. Um, so if you are yet to be a follower of Jesus, don't come to this, come to Jesus. Give your life to him and then come together and come to this. Um, and we can help if you're like, I still kind of need more info of what it might look like to come to Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe somebody that you know here that, that you know is a follower of Jesus would love to talk with you about that as well. Um, the warnings in scripture for communion are for followers of Jesus to come here too quickly and to not first meet with him in prayer, confess sin, abide in him, and be like, man, I, I know I've been resisting you here. Lord, as I, as I get ready to come to the table, Lord, I lay that down. I repent of that. Um, I, I, I come to you. I, I'm coming into the light, walking away from the darkness, coming into the light. And so, so take a second if you need to, uh, to pray to him before you come. But let's all respond to, to Jesus. Let's come, and then I'll lead us into taking it together.